0: from Beatle, Bailey, and High and Lois, and you're listening to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life.
1: Welcome to all you folks out there who are mad about comics. This is Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. I'm your host, Joe Stuber. And this is your bonus episode of Comic Book Central this week. You're all on the bonus plan. We're getting extra episodes this week. This Saturday, May 5th, it's not only free comic book day, but if you happen to be anywhere in the Columbus, Ohio area, you will be able to check out an amazing art exhibit at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum. I am so looking forward to this. Saturday, May 5th, that's the opening reception of the Mad Magazine exhibit at the Billy Ireland called Artistically Mad, Seven Decades of Satire. Mad megastar artist Sergio Argonas, he's going to be there, as will collectors Glenn Bray and Grant Geisman, they'll be there. And Mad editor Bill Morrison, he will be there as well. The opening reception is free and open to the public. The exhibit runs through October 21st. One other guest that's going to be at that opening reception on May 5th is my special guest today. Today I'm going to be sitting down with the curator of the Mad Exhibit, Brian Walker. We're going to be talking not only about what visitors to the Billy Ireland Museum are going to see at the Mad Exhibit, we're going to be chatting about the history of Mad Magazine and we will take a look back at the life and legacy of Brian's father, legendary cartoonist Mort Walker creator of Beetle Bailey, High and Lois. Mort Walker, of course, passed away at the age of 94 this past January. Uh, Brian and his brothers have kept his cartoon creations and legacy alive and well over the years. So lots to talk about with Brian today. By the way, links to the sites for the cartoons and the Mad Exhibit, all these links, they're going to be in the show notes for this episode at my website, comicbookcentral.net and blogtalkradio.com slash central, so you can get a lot more information out there by clicking those links. Good show on tap for today. Happy Star Wars Day if you're listening on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Happy free comic book day if it's Saturday and you're listening to it. Comics and culture, that's what's on tap for today. Before we go mad, check this out. Then I'll be right back to talk tunes, cartoons that is, and comics with Brian Walker. Brian was born and raised in Connecticut, the son of famous cartoonist Mort Walker. Mort was creator of Beetle Bailey and High and Lois, staples of the Sunday funnies since the 1950s. Brian and his brothers ultimately worked on the strips with their father, and that's not the only comics cred on Brian's resume. He graduated from Tufts University. Along with his father, he founded the Museum of Cartoon Art, served as the director of the International Museum of Cartoon Art, and he served as the curator for more than 70 cartoon exhibitions. He taught cartoon history at the School of Visual Arts. He was the editor-in-chief of Collector Showcase magazine. He has written, edited, contributed to more than three dozen cartoon-related books, including the Comics Before 1945 and the companion volume, The Comics Since 1945. Uh, Joining me now to go a little mad is the curator of the Mad Magazine exhibit at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum. He is also a cartoonist. He's a writer. A big welcome to Brian Walker. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today on Comic Book Central.
0: It was nice talking to you.
1: Nice to have you here. Uh, First, let me say on behalf of myself and the listeners out there, our sincere condolences on the loss of your father earlier this year. Um, My goodness, what a career
0: yeah great run 94 years old we're still working on the strip right up to the end um and uh even played a little golf in november but (laughs) you know he um yeah it it's uh, really had a quite a remarkable life in, in just not only creating these iconic comic strips but starting the museum of cartoon art and serving as president of the national cartoon society and and uh it was really kind of, a, I got so many calls and emails and and condolences that it was just like a, a wave that was just overwhelming, really.
1: It's, I don't know how you process, it. I mean, just being his son, but for us, it's just this whole world, I mean, we think about our childhood, we think about Beetle Bailey, we think about, um, you know, no matter what era you're in that was part of your life. It was just always yeah. there. It's one of those things. It's kind of like the Simpsons now. Almost. It's just like right. There's some point it's going to be like, it's always been there, but yeah. as his son, can you like kind of take us into that world? Like when did you first know about cartooning and what dad did for a living? And when, when did that all start to gel for you?
0: Well, you know, it's funny because I grew up with, you know, original cartoons hanging in the walls of our den and, and, <laughs> guys that work with my father, like Jerry Dumas would come over to work and Dick Brown and all of his cartoonist buddies. And I just thought that was normal, you know. And at some point, (laughs) I grew up in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is, you know, sort of like Mad Men territory where most of the dads went off to Manhattan to work and they went on business trips. And I went to my friend's house and I said, where's where's your dad? You know, isn't he here when you get home from school, you know? He said, oh, man, he's work. he works in Manhattan, you know. And I just felt sorry for this kid that his father wasn't <laughs> around all the time. <clears throat> but um, interesting story about Mad magazines. You know, when I, I was born in 52, which is when Mad started, and, you know, most of my friends, the parents wouldn't let that Mad Magazine in the house. Yeah. <laughs> but my father actually had a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> My brother and I would sneak into his studio and like pilfer his Mad magazines. And I remember him coming into our room once and saying, "Who who stole all my Mad magazines?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> was he mad so, or was he proud?
0: No, nah, he was frustrated. He wanted to, you know, we we'd taken these, he wanted to look at them. Oh, we, okay, so
1: he like you were you were horned in on his magazines. It wasn't like he was right. upset that you were like seeing all this like sort of you know. Adult no. humor and jokes, and you know, no, theme, I mean, okay,
0: he was, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he was friends with some of the artists, really, okay. you know, I mean, so, um, he
1: was just ticked off your touching his stuff,
0: right? Yeah, <laughs> we, we had them stashed under our beds, and you know, <laughs> probably took all of them, really, you know, it was like
1: that's funny, that's funny. When um, did you get a sense that, okay, that oh, dad's dad's doing earning a living doing this? I maybe I could do this, this thing, like, I could just, you know, be a cartoonist. When did, when did that, when did you get a sense of that? Um, you know, was art school and all these, like, take, take us through that your sort of formative years into your world of cartooning.
0: Um, I think because my people knew who my father was, I was always the, the kid that got asked to do the poster for the school dance or <laughs> draw a cartoon <laughs> for the newspaper or something like that. Oh. Uh, But of course, I grew up in the '60s, so it was, you know, I was very rebellious, and you know, got kicked out of the house a few times, and had big arguments with my father about Vietnam, and um, so it wasn't part of my plan to, you know, follow in his footsteps or work in the family business or anything like that. Okay. And it was really, uh, you know, I did some serious wandering around the world. I mean, I traveled through Africa when I was about 20, and I finally came back after college and was painting houses like a lot of college kids did back in those days. This was 1974, and my father said, I'm going to rent this mansion around the corner to start a cartoon museum, and I think you could get some of your buddies to clean it up and put a fresh coat of paint on the walls. And next thing I knew, I was putting up exhibits, and uh, I worked there for 18 years wow. until the museum moved to Florida, and and I've stayed connected with it all these years. I did exhibits for them in Florida, and eventually that collection from the Cartoon Museum ended up at the Billy Ireland, and... Uh, so that's kind of why I'm curating exhibits there even to this day, really. Okay,
1: you took me right into and I was curious as to the genesis of this, because for for those that aren't familiar with it, um, I think it originally started as the, was it the Museum of Cartoon Art, I think when when your dad founded it, and then it became the International Museum of Cartoon Art, is that correct?
0: Right. We okay. were the M- Museum of Cartoon Art in Greenwich, Connecticut, which was just around the corner from my family home. Okay. And then we moved to Westchester County, and then in '92 they moved it to Florida, built a new building, and it reopened down there as the International Museum of Cartoon and Art.
1: What made him think of that? Of of doing something like that? And what were some? Of, how how did it look to begin with? Like, what were some of the things that were in there? And like, why did your dad think like hey, hey, this needs to be a thing?
0: Well, I think that you know, of course. He grew up loving cartoons. I mean, he 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 wrote away like when he was a kid back in the 1930s and got original strips from famous cartoonists, and and just always loved cartooning. It, it's you know, I have a picture of him when he's like you know 13 years old and he's sitting at his drawing board with his pen in his hand. And he's got originals on the wall. I mean, he he always knew that's what he wanted to do as as far back as he can remember. That
1: wasn't you, right?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> And, uh, he, I, I think some of the cartoonists heard about what was going on in particularly in Europe I mean, they got invited to, uh, a cartoonist cartoon museum in Rapallo, Italy, I think at one point, this was probably back in the sixties.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, there was a an ex- cartoon exhibit at the Louvre in Paris and they were saying, why isn't there something like that in this country? This, we're the ones that invented it, which isn't exactly true, uh, <laughs> But, and so the National Cartoonist Society had kind of a committee and they went to Washington and every time it would look like it was going someplace, it would fall through. And there was, you know, so he, he just kind of took the bull by the horns and he got some grant from the Hearst Foundation and and basically just started it himself with uh, some friends. Uh, A cartoonist named Jack Tippett was the first director and I worked there right from the beginning. Okay. And we just kind of made it up as we went along. I had no background, no experience in museums. I'd never worked in a gallery, nothing. You know, we just we had no idea what we were doing. And um, maybe a good thing because it, I think a cartoon museum is a unique thing. Um, it's not exactly an art museum. It's not exactly a library. Uh, I think the Billy Ireland sort of finally figured it out you know i think mm-hmm. it's a wonderful institution that is part museum part library and um which is what a cartoon you know institution like that should be because cartoons are both uh, um you know literature and graphic arts
1: writer and artist together. yeah writer and artist i look i've said this for so long i mean it's and and you hit on something there i want to ask you about because i i kind of like i kind of side with your dad and in, in that like this is an american art form this uh, like to me this is i just i just saw the superman exhibit and they had the the 1940 superman painting i'm like that's our picasso that's that's my picasso yeah. sitting right there <laughs> i kind of side on your on with your dad on that but you mentioned like this wasn't Like, we didn't originate this. Can you expand on that a little bit? And I still might not agree (laughs) with you, just because I love comic books.
0: Well, it's interesting you brought up Picasso because, you know, when we started the Cartoon Museum, it really was the first institution completely devoted to collecting and preserving cartoon art. And I remember in the original location, people would come in and say, why a cartoon museum? I mean, you can read this stuff in the newspapers or – comic books. Why do you need a museum for it? You know, and my father would say, because, you know, you, you wouldn't just look at a picture of the Mona Lisa in a book. You want to go see the real thing, you know? Um, and, you know, I've continued, even after the museum closed down, I've continued doing exhibitions at other museums. And just this past fall, I did a major George Harriman crazy cat exhibit for the Reina Sofia Museum in Madrid, Spain where Picasso's Guernica is so you go in this room and there's Guernica which is like this massive it's, it's an entire, takes up an entire room, you know and this is, I you know the Mona Lisa of modern art really there's people standing there like a hundred people staring at it, you know mm-hmm. but you go out down the hall and around the corner and through another door and there were five galleries of George Harriman crazy cat artwork. And I was the curator of that show. And it was a huge honor to be, you know, to have the opportunity to do that. And I feel like it's been this long, slow climb to respectability. <laughs> and I think in this country, we're still far away from the goal is to, you know, like why does the museum of modern art have an exhibit like that? Yeah. Or, the Whitney, or, um, I worked on this exhibit called Masters of American Comics, which came close to that, you know, where we were in two museums in LA and and, in Milwaukee and in New York, it was a a two-year touring exhibit, uh, that got a lot of, you know, serious attention and, um, but, you know, it was always my father's goal for, for people to, to sort of have develop a serious appreciation for comic art and the talent of the artist and what it takes and the uniqueness of it. It, it isn't fine art, it, it isn't it isn't literature, it, it's something else completely different and uh, in Europe they don't seem to ask that question, is it art? You know, that doesn't seem to really concern them. They just take it for granted that it's, it's just another art form just like painting and sculpture and photography and film and everything else.
1: But when you get into it, I mean, you're absolutely right. When you get into it and look at these things, it's – I think it just – because it hits on so many levels. Um, Even when you think about political cartoons and you think about – we're going to talk about Mad Magazine, uh, satire, commenting on events of the day, all these things. I think it just hits on so many levels, and I think that's why when you talked about including the writers and you need to have the books and you need to read the stories – and find out what they're commenting on. It's, it's almost like a time capsule into not only American culture, but just culture in general. All
0: right. Yeah, there was um, Cullen Murphy, who is a, a writer who um, just recently wrote a book called Cartoon County, which is about you know the, the part of Connecticut that both Cullen and I grew up in, where all our fathers were these cartoonists, and they were all friends with each other, and it was just kind of a unique time. And it got a lot of really good reviews and coverage and stuff. And when my father passed away, Cullen did a little guest uh, editorial for the New York Times about Mort Walker, historian, you know, and about how my, you know, everybody thinks of my father as an entertainer, as a cartoonist, and everything, but he also had this serious side where he really wanted to make people understand that cartoons tell history, Uh, tell the history of the United States. They tell uh, like through political cartoons or or comic strips what people were wearing and saying and thinking about and laughing at. And it's almost like you can go back in time by reading some of this historical material.
1: I've said if you pick up Mad Magazines from the 60s and 70s or if you tune in to like go back and watch some episodes of Laugh-In – on YouTube. I mean, if you want to understand history, that's a great, that's a great way to dive into it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And you talk, well, before we get to Mad Magazine and the Billy Ireland. I just want to mention, um, you, okay, so you and your brother had taken over, um, was it uh, Beetle Bailey and High and Lois? You said your dad was working on the cartoons up until his passing. Could you just sort of give us that little area? Because these, these cartoons are still going strong. They're still online. We can still read them. Can you just sort of bring us up, bring us up to date on your father's creations and 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 the yeah. family impact on them? Well, oh, you know, my
0: brother and I. mean, you know, sometimes my father would say, "I got my kids working for me." You know, we're we're in our sixties now, so <laughs> we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I've I've I started working uh, on the comic strips after i started working at the museum it was the early uh, 1980s i to say 84 83 yeah since
1: 84 right yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah and that's about when i started working and my brother goes is is a couple of years older and he actually did comic books and stuff before that you know he did like a sergeant snorkel comic book and uh, so he's been doing it even longer probably closer to uh 40 years or something um and remember at the time You know, one of the first things he was having some complaints about Miss Buxley. You know, the character secretary in Neil Mm -hmm. Bailey. He said, "Well, you're a liberated guy. You try writing for this. You know, (laughs) get me out of hot water." (laughs) And one of the things I noticed. So that was one of my first assignments, and I noticed writing for Miss Buxley.
1: You were that was oh okay.
0: But one thing I noticed is that she hardly ever said anything. Mm -hmm. So I started. I wrote some, some gags, gags is what we called them. Give her some dialogue, yeah. The idea, and give her like a comebacker. Let her let her get the last laugh occasionally, you know. Because yeah. she truly was a sex object in the beginning. And then with High and Lois, you know, I had just gotten married. I hadn't even had kids yet. And he said, you know, you guys are young parents. You know, my staff is getting old. Our kids are all grown up. He said, Why don't you take this over? So I pretty much took over High and Lois in the mid-'80s and, and okay. do most of the writing for it, the editing. And uh, actually, I was thinking recently, I think I've probably written High and Lois longer than my father did.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> he
0: started in 54, and he went up to about 86.
1: But such a cool concept from him, too, because this was a spinoff of Beetle Bailey, right? It's just like we think yeah. about like All in the Family and all of its spinoffs, and we think ca- cartoons do that, too. Like, Beetle ba- yeah. uh, Lois is... Beatles sister? Right. Okay. So lo- you know when that. Beatles
0: <laughs> when Beetle Bailey started in nineteen fifty, he was a college student mm-hmm. and the strip was going nowhere. So the Korean War started and out of desperation. My father had him enlist and you know the strip started doing better. And then when the Korean War was over, about fifty four, he said, Oh no, people, nobody's gonna like the military theme now, the war's over, so I'm Maybe I'll take Beetle and put him back in civilian life and he went to go visit his sister Lois and all his readers, no, we like Sarge and general Halftrack put him back in the army so with the encouragement of his editor, King Features, he decided to start a second strip yeah. and he needed help so he he basically found Dick Brown at that point he was working for an advertising agency and the rest is history. <laughs>
1: that's great. I just, I love that. I love that whole concept of it. What did you learn from your father about telling a story in four panels?
0: Um, well, I learned a lot. You know, it's one of my friends when my father passed away said, "You know, you you've been really fortunate to work have worked with your father for most of your career." You know, your post college. I said that's true. You know, we we sort of. Uh, you know we all work separately in our own studios but we have these monthly meetings for each strip and um you know i just in the beginning i really paid a lot of attention to like what he thought was funny and why that didn't work and beetle would never say that and i mean you really have to get your head inside the characters and in, in, in the environment that, that the strip you know, the Camp Swampy, like, you almost feel like it's real, you know, you're, you walk in those, through those barracks and driving in those Jeeps and stuff like that. Because it, you know, it has to be believable, even though it's completely ridiculous, you know. I mean, of course, Army barracks hasn't looked like that probably since the First World War, you know. (laughs) Right, right. And they're still driving around in these Jeeps that don't look anything at all like what what they have now. So. One of my favorite quotes one time, a reporter asked Dick Brown about his strip, Hagar the Horrible. And he said, do you do a lot of research about Vikings and, <laughs> and you know, the costumes and the boats? And and he, Dick was like, of course not. Hagar is not a strip about a Viking. It's a strip about a daydream of a Viking. <laughs> and that's really true with any strip, really. You know, it's not. I mean, you know, Blondie is not really like a real. You just went exactly
1: where I thought you were going to go. I know it's the it's the running late for work. It's the making the sandwich. It's the sleeping on the couch. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's it's somebody's fantasy of what maybe married life probably never was. It could have been, or people wished it could have been. Uh, The same with Archie, you know. I mean, you you know, was there was ever really a high school like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of. Grates on me sometimes when I see them trying to update it, you know, make it more relevant and current. You know, oh,
1: well, I was, I was curious, I was curious how you were going to go like uh, on some of the newer cartoons because they, uh, the newer comic books, or even like Riverdale, like TV shows. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're kind of like, eh, not so much. Yeah.
0: So you know, we've done that not so much with Beetle Bailey. We haven't really modernized it too much, but but high and low is it's a family strip and, and it's reality based and stuff, so we can't really ignore progress, you know, where people are going to say, why are they still driving around in this big old gigantic station wagon with wood (laughs) Wood paneling on the side of it, you know. (laughs) So we've updated the cars and, of course, you know, Chip has, the kids have cell phones and Chip plays in a band and, you know, stuff like that. So all those sort of trappings of, of family life, things change, you know, the clothing has changed a little bit, you know. But essentially, at the core of it, it's still about a family. It's still about a mother and a father and a teenager and two twins and a little baby and a dog and a next-door neighbor and all the rest of it. That part of it really hasn't changed that much. Um, you know, and try to make it more relevant. I mean, you know, people are always saying, How, why didn't you send Chip over to Iraq or something? You know, oh, my goodness. Afghanistan. <laughs> so that would really be hilarious. you know. And maybe because <laughs> There's comedy. Gets, wounded Maybe. over there and he comes back with the oh. you know traumatic no. post-traumatic syndrome you okay know?
1: but isn't that like but isn't that the reason we love cartoons and and cartoon strips or comic strips however you want to refer to them isn't that that the we like sort of the break from reality and I think you you even mentioned it it's sort of our idealized reality
0: yeah it's kind of like an oasis or something yeah. that you can go to and and you know replenish your yeah, yeah. Your, you know, your, your calmness or something.
1: (laughs) Family circus, it's always going to be not me and the little ghost, not me. Marmaduke is always going to be huge and knocking things over. I mean, I think we love that security. It's almost like a security blanket for us in a sense. Yeah. I mean, it's challenging sometimes because...
0: We're always torn because you know it's, it's like you always want to think of something new and fresh, something that hasn't been done before. You don't want to repeat yourself over and over again. And you know there are those those you know online grousers that say A Beetle Bailey hasn't been funny in years and it's <laughs> the same joke over and over again. Why don't you know the, the, you know there's these legacy strips? Why don't they kill them off and get rid of them and stuff? But then there's inevitably like, oh, we love Trixie in the sunbeam, you know, and she's sitting in the sunbeam with a dog and, and you know, do more of that. And I tell you, those are the, some of the hardest gags to write because it's like how many different ways can you do the sunbeam, you know? I mean, you know, we've done it, uh, you know, it's just, they're, they're never the funniest gags, but, you know, it's like with, Lucy and Charlie bound with the football. Yes, kicking the football, and he would do that every year. Essentially, the same gag, and people love it.
1: I look. I'm I'm a huge nostalgia guy. I mean, I'm sitting here surrounded by the '70s, <laughs> pretty yeah. much, and, and you know, in my basement here. And it's just speaking for me. I don't know how the rest of the listeners feel, but speaking for me, I love when you guys just sort of embrace this. That is. That is a security blanket to know that that that's there. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. Mad Magazine is is nostalgia to me as well. Let's uh, here's the bridge. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you a trivia question, trivia question slash exhibit question. Are you ready for this? Right. Um, will we see some of your dad in the exhibit? And I I want to refer to Mad Magazine issue number eighty
0: nine. Um, that's the one where, uh, yeah. That's the one where the comic strips were like uh something or other. There's a whole bunch of those that they did actually. You got it. Yeah, one where, got um, it. yeah, you
1: got it. I know. It's called it's, the title is Comic Strips They'd Really Like to Do.
0: Okay. And then it <laughs> shows Beatles' Eyes or something.
1: <laughs> well they it's it's your dad did uh, like something he always wanted to do, but it but it wasn't you know, there's Charles Schultz. They they sort of did this thing, uh the magazine itself has Frankenstein on the cover. not Freddie Newman of course. Um and your your dad contributed to Mad magazine in the strip that he'd really like to do. And it's got like a little blurb from him in there. Um I'm just curious I d I didn't know if that was gonna be if you were gonna sneak that into the exhibit or possibly the Beetle Bailey cameo in the dirty dozen spoof, Dirty or By the Dozen.
0: Oh no.
1: Okay. I didn't know no, if I, either I, of those I, were gonna make an appearance here in Columbus or not. Yeah,
0: I mean I try not to, you know All right. promote our product. It's through the through these sh- you know, scholarly efforts, but I probably could have stuck. I mean, for one thing, I don't know where the artwork is for some of that stuff. You right, know. Uh, it's pretty hard. Most most okay. of what the exhibit is about is. The original, original artwork, right, right, yeah. right,
1: right. Okay, I didn't. I just, I wasn't sure because I thought, well, if he's behind it, maybe we can. Maybe yeah. there's some original artwork there from that. So, yeah. No worries. Was, no it worries. It
0: was actually a Beetle Bailey strip where Alfred e. Newman made a guest cameo in Beetle Bailey. Oh, in
1: Beetle oh, Bailey. Ba- oh, the reverse. Okay, okay, go ahead.
0: And I think it was like something like, "What kind of an idiot is running this camp?" or something. And you see him through the window it's <laughs> Alfred e. Newman. So they ran. I think they they reprinted that in the letters page at Mad. Okay. And I have somewhere a nice letter, I think, from Jerry DeFuscio, um thanking my father or something. I don't
1: know. It's uh, this. This I love this idea. Okay, so for those that aren't familiar with the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, which they should be, uh, give us, a, if you can, a little bit of the history of the museum. You mentioned that that was the the your father's museum was incorporated into it. Give us an idea of what somebody can expect there, and maybe just even outside of this mad magazine exhibit what are some things that just regular visitors any time of the year can expect
0: well you know the you know, the Museum of cartoon art where where my that I started with my worked on with my father started in nineteen seventy four and I believe the Cartoon Research Library was started by Lucy Caswell. Originally, it was just a, a room full of Milton Kniff papers. And that goes back I don't know, to the late 70s, early 80s or something. So uh, we worked on numerous exhibits over the years uh, that I worked on with Lucy, you know, collaborating, you know, helping out. But I've, I think it's been, what, three or four years ago they moved into this new Renovated building, it's amazing. which is really spectacular. <laughs> yeah. And it sort of vaulted that the research library into you a know, university research library, which is what it was, and it was one of the better ones and the more established, <clears throat> into really a center for cartoon art. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like worldwide, I mean, it's, it's a significant institution, probably the leading institution in the field now. Mm-hmm and um it's just spectacular what's there i mean the, the galleries themselves are very beautifully designed state of the art uh they're designed specifically to display cartoon art they have these really great slant cases where the the stuff the pages are angled so you can mm-hmm. read them perfectly and everything <clears throat> and these kind of sliding special drawer cabinets. And there you go. That's candles. what I wanted you to hit on.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that to me was the most amazing thing you, right. you can, it's almost like a comic book long box. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where you can, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I look, I geek out on this. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, it's,
0: I mean, we used to have in the cartoon museum when we were in the castle in Rybrook, these flip racks that I think were like, I bought them from this industrial display company. They were probably for like, you know, wallpaper samples or something, but it was a way for us to expand so much. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's what a lot of museums do now with these movable archives and stuff. We can go in and they have walls that move back and forth and you can see stuff. And, um, so you know all this is you know the, the, it, like if you go to Europe, they have a lot of the slant cases uh in the very, you know they were sort of a some of the first museums, the one in Angoulême was one of the first places I saw those you know one of where they displayed comic pages in that way so but in addition to the to the to the three galleries that they have there there's you know, classrooms and an auditorium and a reading room and and uh, you know, like a digital studio where they can <laughs> photograph newspaper pages and the storage is spaces like the, the you know more the size of a football field or something.
1: you know? It's it's, it's just ridiculous. Amazing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I I we we went there for the Calvin and Hobbes exhibit um, oh, that yeah. they had there, and it was. I don't, did you make it for that or not? Yeah, I did. Oh. Yeah, uh, Oh, so that was brilliant, even on its own. And then you're going, you're going through, and I'm pulling these drawers out, and I'm just sifting through the history of comic books.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I I don't know how else to describe it. It's like original artwork from the history of comics. So, um yeah. it's right there. Everything's right there. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, okay. So, but Mad I, Max. I oh, go, go ahead. One yeah, thing. yeah. Please do. Please do. Um, So,
0: when the museum moved from Florida, you know, my father was pretty frustrated that it didn't make it down there. I mean, they built like a $6 million building down there, but they just didn't get the support from the community that they needed in Boca Raton. And so, we moved everything back up to put in storage. And we, at one point, we were approached by a number of universities, including Yale, that wanted our collection. And you know, we, we turned Yale down. We said, you know, we're not, we don't want to see this all just stashed away somewhere in a research library. We want it, we want it open to the public. And my father's dream was always to have, you know, public hours where people can come and view this stuff like like in a museum. Um, And when Lucy came to us and said, well, we're building exactly that, you know. We're building not only a research library, but a place with with regular public viewing hours. So it's going to be a museum and a library. And that was the clincher. And that's when we decided just to give them this, you know, couple hundred thousand pieces of, <laughs> of artwork. Yeah. Um, uh. Which really expanded their collection. I mean, they've got other significant collections. I mean, you know, the yeah, international museum collection is not the whole thing, but in terms of original art and everything, that really just really upped their ante at, at that point, you know. And so it's been it's been very nice for me to, to stay involved. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's an honor to actually be able. This is the third exhibit I've done there. I did the opening show for them and then right after the Calvin and Hobbes I did one called King of the Comics which is the history of King Feature Syndicate mm. and then this one and you know there's there's more down the road.
1: Oh, uh, can, can you get, uh, well, can you give us a hint?
0: I I probably shouldn't.
1: Can you give us a genre?
0: Well, I know that they're um, comedy
1: like just
0: I know that that they have some uh I probably shouldn't say anything. All you know? right, fair it's enough. Really, fair enough. I, a, like, I know they, we don't want any. Spoilers. I don't want to get myself in trouble. Like, Artistically, I mean, you
1: know, no. Like, uh, you're fine. I don't want to get you in trouble. Artistically, yeah. Mad, seven decades of satire. This is what we're looking at. May fifth uh, through through the fall, right? Right through October. This is huge. Um, I'm a huge Mad Magazine fan. How how did this come about? Is this the was the impetus for this? The, the fact that Mad Magazine basically picked up from New York and moved to the West Coast and rebooted with number one? I, th- I think part
0: of the motivation for the Billy Ireland is, uh, to do this show is that they have this collection by a collector that was donated by a collector named Mark Cohen who is collect- collected Mad Magazine. He's passed away now. Uh, his widow, I think, is going to be there at the opening, Rosie Daniel.
1: This is May 5th. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so he had this pretty big collection, and he actually used to have a traveling exhibit of, of Mad Magazine artwork that he toured around to small museums and places like that. So they've got this sort of core collection there at the Billy Ireland. And I think at some point early on, Jenny Rob asked me to send her a list of ideas for ex- exhibits.
1: <laughs> how did you get involved? Was it just because you were involved on other exhibits that, and, and because you're a huge comic book historian, I, I think I'm answering my own question here, but uh, is that how you became involved?
0: Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I can honestly say that when it comes to curating cartoon exhibits, I don't think anybody even, has even done, I've done over 75 yeah, yeah, shows yeah. over the years. Yeah.
1: That, that um, question and, answered itself. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. But also, you know, I'm, I'm
0: on their, their board of advisors. Okay. Um, you, know, I'm, you know, I've am You know, worked, like I said, with Lucy Caswell for going back into the early 80s. I worked with her on the 50-year anniversary of Terry and the Pirates, Milton Kniff exhibit that we did at the Cartoon Museum in Rye Brook, And, you know, over the years... And so, I have very close relationships with her and Jenny and Caitlin and everybody down there um and um you know it's it's the, I'm kind of like a visiting member of the family, I guess I'm not part of the inner circle, but i you know well I'm sure they probably
1: differ with that. I'm sure you're probably nice. part of the inner circle, but i look you mentioned something like way early on that like you like you you sort of um i don't want to i don't know if. I won't say the word battled, but I think you that it was a conflict with you and your dad over the Vietnam War. Were your sensibilities leaning more toward the Mad Magazine sensibilities? Is that a fair statement?
0: Well, I think, um, you know, born in 52, when I was young, Mad Magazine was very subversive. You know, the, the Mad Magazine was telling us baby boomer kids like, don't believe everything they're telling you. You know.
1: Yeah, that. But by the time you were old enough to know it, originally it was more of a comic booky kind of thing, right? And then it yeah, but it was satirizing,
0: um, you know, other comics,
1: other comics, and, and satirizing and it,
0: TV shows,
1: right? And what? then it moved into more of like affairs of the world,
0: right? Social okay. satire. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I don't ever think it was overtly or stridently political but you know certainly you know sort of thumbing their nose at the establishment uh, well <laughs> yeah
1: oh, there's a well okay there's a there's a certain cover right <laughs> okay the that issue number one reboot has has mimicked yeah oh All the right. finger yeah, yeah. no um, literally but, yeah I think you're dead on it it just it just went against the establishment
0: yeah but by you know, by the '60s, I was a hippie. You know, I was a card-carrying <laughs> member. <laughs> There's of where I was going. There's where yeah. I was going. Yeah. I mean, I was in the SDS. Um, I mean, pro, you know, civil disobedience, anti-war protests, the whole thing. You That's know. Right. Right. Um, and you know that I think that you know Mad Magazine certainly led directly to Zap Comics and underground comics. But I I do think that Mad. You know, they, they a lot of people say this, they, you know, that that was a subversive element for that baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. And that was part of it. And I'm probably not conscious of it at the time, but I look back on, you know, reading those magazines and that sort of satirical, um, you know, thumbing your nose at the establishment. Really, that's goes back to that,
1: really. Can we mention this opening reception? Free and open to the public. Boy, can you can you tell us who's going to be there? Oh, you You're mean? going to be there. You'll be there, right? right? Yeah, you are hanging Argonis. out. So you and I are going to be hanging out. So, yeah.
0: Sergio Aragonas and oh. Bill Morrison, the new editor.
1: Oh, give me a break, right?
0: And um, these two collectors that I really haven't gotten into that yet, but. Um, what what I was going to say before is when Jenny Rob called me up and said, "Well, we'd like you to be to curate the uh, the Mad show." And I said, Oh good, we're going to do that next, okay <laughs> <laughs> And I, I said, Well, let me go into the database and look and see what's in the Cohen collection for the Mad artwork, I came back i said it's it's a very representative collection. You know all the major artists are represented there, but I'm afraid that, that you don't have the showstopper pieces here, you know, that people are going to go, Oh my God, where did you find that? You know? And I think we need to think, they like to usually have exhibits just to showcase their collection. And I said, I, I sort of talked Jenny, you know, like allowing them to borrow some artwork from a few, a few lenders.
1: You had to go next level, yeah, because we're talking and, about over seventy years, I mean we're talking about seven decades, yeah, and so
0: what I did was uh, I knew of these two collectors in l a that lived pretty close to each other, Glenn Bray, who has one of the most amazing collections of outsider art and comic art and everything from Mexican movie posters to Basil Wolverton and Carl barks and it's just an amazing collection, and he, He's got some of the really early, particularly Kurtzman stuff, including the concept cover for Mad Number One. Oh,
1: I was going to ask: Are we going back? We're going back to the beginning,
0: yeah. right? That's one. That's number one, and it's, oh. it's a it's a Kurtzman. It's not the finished cover. We've got the finished cover for right. I believe it's Mad Number Six. I think, okay. but this is Mad Number One, and it's a color piece. But it's just a rough design. It's really cool. And that's he's mind also that's got mind that.
1: blowing that, that you got that.
0: Yeah. And then we've got um this other collector, Grant Geisman, who also has an amazing collection. But um Glenn is really into the just the early period of Matt. Doesn't really care much about anything that happened after <laughs> Kurtzman <been> left. <laughs> Where Grant has everything from all eras and lots of covers and lot, you know, like Norman Ringo and Kelly Frias and guys that did the the paintings for the covers, oh. which are the most iconic things. I mean, you think of Mad, you think of Alfred e. Newman on the cover in full color, you know, on a
1: But these are cover. originals.
0: Yeah, original <sighs> paintings by Norman Mingo, from like the '60s. So then we had, so I, we borrowed from those two lenders, and they're both also going to be at the opening. I'm going to do a talk with them, and they're going to tell some tales about collecting and where they found this stuff and what that what what their favorite pieces are and everything like that. Grant actually did a book called Collectively Mad, which is the, the Bible for mad collectors. So he knows everything. <laughs> and then I also, in addition to the to these sort of showstopper pieces on the wall which are, are individual pieces I wanted to show a little bit about the writing and the storytelling aspect of it so we have three complete stories from three different eras uh, one is a Howdy Doody spoof from 1954 by Bill Elder uh, and that's seven pages I think then we've got a Mort Drucker Spoof of Saturday Night Fever <laughs> from the seventies. That's an eight-page story.
1: He's hitting sweet spot. That,
0: that's like one of Drucker's like best. That, that's peak mm-hmm. Moore Drucker period. And then there's a current story by Tom Richmond, who is the successor to Moore Drucker from last year, and it's a, a parody of Stranger Things. Wow. And we have the, the cover of that issue, and then the, I think it's seven pages. So those are in those slant cases. So you can actually read a whole story beginning to end in originals, all originals.
1: I've got to hit you with two questions here. Um, uh, any reference to the records that used to be inserted in Mad Magazine?
0: Uh, yeah, there's some reference to it. Um, we have one of the – it's like a Mad Disco special edition. Yep. We have a cover design. We have the pencil sketch the color rough and the finished cover for that all frame together.
1: All right, that's covered. But we'll, not the record. We'll, no, well, okay, but there's a record.
0: so I, I searched online and I found that there's an, actually a CD called Mad Grooves. Yep. That's like a kind of a greatest hits collection of all yep. the mad songs. Yep. And I asked Caitlin, I said, if I get this, we... You
1: play it. Can we,
0: can we play it at the yeah, opening? We play it, right. It's pretty obnoxious, actually. Well. Uh, yeah, you know, one of the songs the, but, but, is like... But
1: isn't that, isn't that part of the vibe?
0: I guess. I don't know. She never answered me. <laughs> I think I found it. In, I, I might even have it somewhere in the attic, but I figured I'd just buy the thing on eBay or something. Right, right. But one of the songs is called She Got a Nose Job. <laughs> so that, that's the level of humor on these things. Um, there is a I, my, my,
1: my 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 can, Super Spectacular Day.
0: That's one of the songs. Yeah, uh.
1: and it's like every time you play it, when you play, like every time you drop the needle, it played a different version. Oh, really? Hmm. If you can Google that between now and May May fifth, if you can play Super Spectacular Day, I'll be a happy man. Yeah, no, I'll
0: look, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go. Uh, I mean, last week I was just going down some rabbit hole, and I <laughs> I, uh, I was reading about the music. And yeah. I said, "Oh, it'd yeah. be kind of cool to have some background music at the opening." Oh.
1: Will there be a superhero? Look, it's Comic Book Central. I got to ask you: Will there be a superhero section of the exhibit? I'm talking uh, Super expecting... Duper Man, Bats Man, Yeah, we have super...
0: We have a page from Super Duper Man. That's all I need. We also have a Wally Wood strip. Uh, if cartoon characters oh. got old, so it's oh. like Superman, like you know, like a really old Superman. Oh. Uh, that's like a comic strip.
1: You are making me a very happy individual here. You're not only making me a very happy individual, you're making me a proud citizen of Columbus, Ohio. you got a fun (laughs) job, my friend. you got a fun job. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting up with you. Okay, so for anybody out there right now that wants to go, okay, how can I find out more? How can I find out more about the world of Brian Walker? Where do we go?
0: We have a website, beetlebailey.com and highandlois.com.
1: It's good stuff, and there's, like, it, it. doesn't it sort of indirectly lead to, like, Blondie and all, like, really cool yeah. cartoony well, they, stuff?
0: King Features has, a, has a, a, a web ring called Comics Kingdom. Yeah. So on that, you can get Zits and Mutts and Blondie and Hagar and Beetle wow. Bailey and High and Lois. But you can also go just directly to beetlebailey.com. We have our own website, which is part of the ring there. And there's bios of all the people that work on it there. There's today's strip on it. But it, the most important thing is I do a like a weekly post blog kind of post there on the history of Beetle Bailey. And I've been doing this for like three, over three years now. So it's deep.
1: You're going back so, to like 70s. I mean, you're hitting... The historical Everything. highlights. I
0: right. showed that I showed that there's somewhere in there is the first week of strips, yeah. you know, yeah. back in the '50s. Yeah. I did a whole thing about all the products, Free. collectibles, the movies that were made in the '60s, um, and the same thing with HighLois.com. And what I classic episodes, stories behind certain strips photographs of the creators everything you could possibly want it's like an archive
1: this is all free right i mean you yeah. just click it and it's there just you go, go there the history yeah, of, oh my God. goodness
0: every week when i post something new there i link it to our we have facebook pages yeah. also for high and lowest and beetle bailey
1: no i'm checking these new ones out and i mean like you boy your dad's legacy it just lives on
0: are you so you're on beetlebailey.com yeah right
1: now? i'm always on it it's it's Look, I'm a nostalgia geek. I just I just love right. I love this stuff and the fact that you're continuing this tradition is amazing.
0: Do you have any of my books or?
1: I I have to go get them. Uh, full disclosure, I have to go get them.
0: Right, cuz I have let's I did name Two volume history. Now, let's name them comics. here.
1: The comics before 1945. Second volume, right. the comics since 1945. Is right. there anything else to cover? That's the history of comics. You want some more? Doonesbury and the Art of G.B. Trudeau. we got Doonesbury.
0: There's a book called The Comics The Complete Collection, which is both of those two volumes in one both budget, together. budget volume.
1: Budget. <laughs> if you want them both, if you want every comic since 1945, go get it, right?
0: It's like a 750-page book.
1: This is insane.
0: Like five years of my life, I spent that. That's my magnus opus, or whatever you want to call this it. This is
1: insane. I mean, it's just, it's such great stuff. And look, I love the fact that, uh, look, I'm sticking to this. This is an American art form. You are part of making sure that it is celebrated. We've got the websites, we've got the exhibit. May 5th, you're going to be there. Yep. If you be, hey, if you want to I'll meet be, Brian Walker, if you want to find out the history of comics, go meet him, May 5th, Columbus, yep.
0: Ohio. I'll be hanging out in the galleries there. Um, and then we're going to do some talks. I mean, there's going to be uh, Bill Morrison's going to talk, and I'm going to interview these two collectors, and Sergio's going to do a demonstration, and there's going to be some <laughs> questions and answers and stuff. So that'll be a program, and then there's going to be then the gallery opening, and there's going to be some food and drinks and <laughs> You know, it'll be a good time.
1: You and I are going to knock back a glass of wine, aren't we? Right.
0: That's
1: I'm looking gonna, forward to it. That's going to happen, Brian. I'm looking forward to this. This is amazing. I'm, I'm always proud to be a citizen of Columbus. You just may be even more proud to be a citizen of Columbus. There's so many exhibits coming up. I think. Can you give us a when's? Can you give us a timeline as to the next one? You
0: know, the next exhibit I'm working on there is probably going to be 2020. I think.
1: Okay. All right. So you're working Um, something up. Something really cool, though?
0: Oh, yeah. that
1: epic. Uh, Epic? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't even. This is epic. I can't even take this anymore. Thank you so much for bringing this to Columbus. Everybody come to Columbus. Brian, thank you so much for everything you do. Um, Again, your dad's legacy lives on through you and through everything we're seeing. And thank you for joining me on the show today. All right, nice talking comics with you. And my thanks to Brian for giving us that preview of the Mad Exhibit uh, and for talking about his father, legendary cartoonist Mort Walker. Uh, so glad we got to uh, chat about him and his life and legacy. Links to the latest adventures of his father's creations, Beetle Bailey, High and Lois, all the gang, <laughs> all the cartoon characters that go along with them as well as a link to all the information you're going to need about artistically mad seven decades of satire. Those can all be found in the show notes for this episode of my website, comicbookcentral.net and blogtalkradio.com slash comicbookcentral. Thanks so much to Brian for stopping by today. So looking forward to this exhibit and you've got until October. the, The exhibit runs through October. So go check it out. Plan your trip to Columbus, Ohio. It's going to be an amazing show. All right, kids, that is it for today. I am out of here But not for long. Uh, No need to say what me worry about when the next episode of Comic Book Central is going to be. Because next time on Comic Book Central, you are mere days away from my conversation with Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. These days, she is menacing Team Flash as Amunet Black, a.k.a. Blacksmith on The Flash. The lovely and talented Katie Sackhoff. She's going to be here in the lair to talk about heroes, villains, sci-fi, comics, and bionics. Yes, we're going to get some bionics talk in there as well. That's what's headed your way on the next episode. Until then, have yourself a super spectacular day. Keep reading those comics. Thanks for joining me here in the lair, Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Comic Book Central. All other content and names are registered, trademarks, and copyrights are the respective holders. Yes.
0: A great, big, beautiful, wonderful, incredible, super-spectacular day And your heart is humming with good times coming And you've got that happy feeling, things are going your way All the
1: bells are ringing and a little bird singing while he sits on your windowsill Saying, yes, sirree, I can surely see you will plainly be Most definitely a super-spectacular day Until... About quarter to five, your relations arrive and your Greek cousin Beth with terrible breath and a fat bread of sire destroys your high-flying your great-uncle
0: Fred who gets drunk in your bed and your third cousin Vic who is mentally sick and his creepy friend Joe and six more you don't know and, you're sure there and then your short and Dennis is shafted again that it's not such a super-spectacular day!